All right, folks, welcome in to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to chat about uh, probably my favorite series that I've ever watched in my life, probably my favorite playoffs that has ever happened for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, This was an important moment in franchise history, and I'm excited to relive it with you together. So, I can't wait on that. We're going to have a good time tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in on your Thursday. If you do, if you're listening to this in post, uh, then make sure to leave a like, uh, comment, and subscribe. Tell me what your favorite game of the series was, whether it was game one, it was game two with Jamal Murray helping a comeback, Game four when they actually clinched it. Not not many people think about game three, I don't think. But lots of people think about the first two and what those games really meant for Denver. Uh, But I had a great time going back and watching some of the highlights of this series and going back and trying to remember exactly what took place. Um, Joshua, what's up, my guy? Go Nuggets. Uh, This was a, a great moment, I think, for... Uh, For the Nuggets franchise, where we've talked about this before, the Nuggets have been owned by the Los Angeles Lakers in the playoffs. It just is a true thing. It's a fact. And it is nice for Denver, especially now when they've got the best player in the world. You have the former best player in the world kind of on on his way out the door. Now, talking about coming back in his 21st NBA season. I mean, that's insane, of course. But uh, now the shoe's on the other foot. Because if you're the Nuggets, you are super excited about having the best player in a series like this for the first time in these two franchises' history. Uh, it's been Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in previous years. It's been Shaquille O'Neal. Actually, no, it's not been Shaquille O'Neal. Mostly it's been Kobe Bryant. Uh, but there have been some other times where Denver has they've, they've had some opportunities here and there, but the Lakers have owned them. And this was the first time since 2020 that these two teams faced off. The last time was in the bubble. And a lot of people, especially Lakers fans, especially some general national NBA media, were thinking back on that series and thinking, man, Anthony Davis looked great in that series. The Nuggets did not look good in that series. What's stopping the Lakers from winning again after they had remade their team and put themselves into a great position? So it's nice to be able to think back on this and and really look into what happened in these games because it was a beatdown. And though some of the games were competitive, going back and watching them, you can see the ebbs and flows of each of these games. You can see Denver reacting in real time to some of these adjustments. Maybe they reacted a little bit slowly, but for the most part, they handled everything, especially in the clutch. And that's that's exactly what you're looking for if you're the Nuggets. So We're going to remember this playoff run. We're going to go back through and remember the Western Conference Finals here. And let's start with Game 1. I have titled this the single most important game of the Nikola Jokic era. Because I don't think that the Finals were. I think that this was the moment kind of taking the baton from not just LeBron, but from Anthony Davis too, and taking the baton from the Lakers, that the Nuggets are, they were now the team to beat. But going into that game, I remember distinctly 
a strong feeling, even around Nuggets fans, that like, you, you hope that this thing goes your way, but all history, everything about the NBA, everything about the franchise's experience from uh, dating back to the 70s, has told Nuggets fans that this was where the ride ended. This was where it stopped. And in this particular game, all those points were put to rest. Every single one. Never, I, I don't think Denver had ever won a game one in a playoff series against the Lakers. They're always down. And sometimes they recovered. Sometimes they bounced back occasionally. But for the most part, the Lakers dominated early. And the Nuggets, led by Nikola Jokic in his 34 points, 20 run, 21 rebounds, and 14 assists, they led. And they set the tempo, they set the pace, and Jokic was at the forefront of it. He had double-digit rebounds in the first quarter alone. Uh, LeBron was going at Jamal Murray, kind of like how he had gone at Steph Curry in the early going. But this game was about Jokic. This game was about how Denver continued to set up Joker and what he did in those first three quarters. The first three quarters, I called it a perfect Jokic game. Because while Anthony Davis was scoring on the other end, it was so clear that he was getting outplayed. It was wild how visually, how visceral the outplaying was. Because you don't usually see something like that when another guy is going for 40 points in a game. But it was clear. AD put up 40 and was clearly the second best big man on the floor. It was pretty impressive. Jokic was perfect through three quarters. Murray was hitting shots throughout. He helped save things down the stretch a little bit. Um, but this was the Rui adjustment game. This was the Rui adjustment, and this is one of those that is it's going to get lost to history a little bit, other than Jokic being awesome. But in that fourth quarter, the Lakers slowed down Jokic tremendously. He didn't really know what to do in that situation with Anthony Davis roaming. It was kind of like how I've talked about previously, where the Kyle Anderson, Rudy Gobert dynamic was a little bit different. And this one in particular, Jokic didn't know how to handle because Rui's much stronger and more athletic than somebody like Kyle Anderson, despite not being as smart of a defender. But Anthony Davis was the best defensive player in the world. And though he didn't handle Jokic one-on-one -on -one that well, he certainly handled that matchup as a roaming help defender. And he, he was great. And they nearly came back. This this was like a 20-point game heading into the fourth quarter. And the Nuggets only win 132-126. to 126. Now, putting up 132 says that the, the Nuggets didn't really get stopped a whole heck of a lot in this game. That, that was not the point. But there was at least a narrative, whether it was local or national or by, with the teams, not really with the teams. I think actually Darvin Ham did a good job of dispelling this, that look, they'll, they'll come up with an adjustment. And Denver did. But a lot of people ran with it. I remember Nick Wright running with this and saying, yeah, the Nuggets should be afraid, basically, being up 1-0. And I remember that being a narrative that was pretty strong. And Malone was scoffing at that. He scoffed at that for sure. Uh, he also scoffed at D'Angelo Russell in this game, uh, or maybe not. It was in between. It was in between the two games, game one and game two. 
But D'Lo had a bad game. He was not on the floor at the end of the game for the Lakers. I think Dennis Schroeder was out there along with Austin Reeves and Rui and LeBron and AD. And Malone, very pointedly, mind you, in between those two matchups of game one and game two, was like uh, saying to the media, I think it's a pretty big story that D'Angelo Russell wasn't on the floor at the end of the game. And he just needled that right in there. He just like put it just a little bit. And that was so funny in the moment because it was as pointed of a call out as Malone has ever had, ever. And, and there have been some good ones, but this was wild. It was a wild, wild thing. And a lot of people were like, oh man, you poked the bear too much. And that was maybe a thing that could have happened if game two didn't also happen. Because game two happens, D'Lo stays in the starting unit, plays horribly. <laughs> Not great. He was, he was, actually, was this game two or game three? Let me, uh, let me go pull up the box score of game two just so I'm not crazy. Um, game two, D'Angelo Russell, three of eight from the field, 32 minutes, 33 minutes, and a minus 16 in a game the Lakers lost by five points. So clearly something that Michael Malone kind of felt was, was pretty strong, kind of felt that in a, in a strong way. And I remember that very vividly. I remember being in that media room and wondering, wow. I can't believe he actually went there. That was the first time he had ever gone to that level to talk to talk smack about somebody, basically. And and he got right under D'Lo's skin, and D'Lo, in that second game, did not play well. But the Rui adjustment was still a thing. They didn't start Rui Hachimura, but he came in off the bench pretty early, and I think that definitely helped slow down Nikola Jokic. And it slowed down Aaron Gordon a little bit, especially in this game. Jokic had 23 points on 21 shots in Game 2, but he also had 17 boards, 12 assists, and 3 steals. He was doing everything else, but the scoring itself was definitely more muted. Denver only scored 108 points in this game. If the Lakers had played well offensively, they might have stolen this one. Let's, let's be clear, they might have. But Denver's defense was great. Anthony Davis was not. Anthony Davis was great in help defense. He had four blocks in this game, but he also shot four of 15. He was horrible on the offensive end of this one. And Jokic absolutely did his job on the defensive end of this game. It, it, like, Sure, the offense was not great, but 9 of 21 is way better than 4 of 15 for 18 points. And that's what the, that's what the Lakers got from Davis. So LeBron, Reeves, and Rui, they all showed up. They played well, but everyone else really struggled on the offensive end for the Lakers. And Denver, on the other hand, they got huge contributions from Michael Porter Jr., KCP, Bruce Brown on the wing. But the real story was Jamal Murray. In the fourth quarter, the Nuggets scored a total of 32 points. Jamal Murray had 23 of them. Michael Porter had six points on two threes. Bruce Brown had three points on one three. Nobody else scored. It was just those three guys. Jokic was 0-4. He didn't play that great. Um, I think it was just very fascinating to see this kind of a breakdown. Murray saved Denver. He hadn't played that great through the first three quarters, but picked Denver up, gave them the boost that they need, and was absolutely cooking down the stretch of this game. Some of those shots that he made, 
I actually remember the the strategy that Malone used in this one. He started Jokic at the beginning of the fourth quarter, got Denver kind of into their sets, and then took him out at the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter, and that's when Murray kind of got hot. That's when he started taking over, made all the shots that he needed to. Uh, Porter, he, he mixed some stuff in as well. Bruce Brown had a three. And then Jokic comes back in, and they they win the day. It, they didn't even they didn't even need Jokic to score because Murray was doing everything that he could. He hit free throws down the stretch. He hit threes. He hit off the dribble twos, posting guys up. He was great, and this was a big big reason for Denver sweeping the series. Because had they lost this one, this series probably goes six games. I don't think that they just do a gentleman sweep, and I don't think that they get both games in L.A. as a result. It's good. It's good stuff. Game three, we'll continue here. Jamal Murray erupts again. The con- The show continues. Denver won this game 119-108. to Murray had 30 points in the first half. 30. It was awesome. Just absolutely on fire. I was lucky enough to go to this game and go to game four. I was in L.A., and got to see it firsthand just how amazed the Lakers contingent was that Murray was continuing to do this. They were getting beaten up like a boxer over and over and over and over again by Murray. 30 points on 20 shots with zero free throw attempts in the first half. Didn't need him. Just got up the shots and was like 13 of 20. He was awesome. Nicola, on the other hand, not great. Like This was another game where Nicola wasn't great from a scoring perspective in the first half. He shot two of eight. I think he had like five points, maybe seven. But then he stepped up in the second half, had 19 points on seven of 11 shooting, got around the Rui adjustment a little bit. When he went at Davis, he didn't miss. And overall, that was just a super important moment for Denver, where even though Murray slows down a little bit in the second half, Nicole is right there to pick him up. KCP and Bruce Brown, they stepped up too uh, in games two and three. MPJ, KCP, and Bruce were all very good on the wing. And it wasn't an Aaron Gordon thing because he was still kind of bothered from the Rui adjustment himself. He was He was fine, but he wasn't great because Anthony Davis was guarding him for most of those important stretches. So... MPJ hit three threes in the second half. MPJ as a whole, actually, 14, 10, and six. Six assists. Career high for MPJ, whether it's the regular season or the playoffs. This was a good, important step for him. And he didn't do anything crazy. He just made the extra pass. He just made the rotation and saw the floor pretty well. That's exactly what you're looking for if you're hoping for evolution from Michael Porter in the coming months. But that was a great moment. 14, 10, and 6 is exactly what you're hoping for from a a third performance when Jokic and Murray are doing what they do most of the night. And then D'Lo stayed in the starting lineup again. No idea why, but he shot 1 of 8 in 20 minutes. And finally, they ultimately bench him in Game 4. But it's too little too late because Denver goes up 3-0. Even though the Lakers played reasonably well on offense, like outside of D'Lo, they could not get any stops, especially for Denver's perimeter guys, whether it was Murray, KCP, Bruce Brown, or MPJ. 
Those guys were locked in, hit threes, did everything they needed to do. And Denver just, they, they had too many punches going at the Lakers. And then game four comes. And you know that LeBron's avoid, like trying to avoid getting swept. He came out with a vengeance in this game. It was a great effort from LeBron. Um, 38 years old and he's still doing his thing. 40 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. In the first half alone, LeBron James had 31 points on 11 of 13 from the field, 4 of 4 from 3. That's bonkers. Like, that's just a disgusting line. And he absolutely earned it. Now, to be clear, I remember being at that game and Denver, a little bit lax. A little bit lax in their defensive coverages. They let LeBron go off in some ways. I don't think it was LeBron dictating as often as he usually did during his prime and even during his late prime. This was Denver not doing enough defensively, uh, more than it was LeBron just like, like he got hot, don't get me wrong, and he's an all-time great, deserves the credit there, but this was a different feeling. Um, And then he had nine points in the second half on four of 12 shooting. So came back down to earth for sure. Also got very tired because he spent a lot of that first half guarding Jokic and like he just ran out of gas because that's what 38-year-olds do when they're trying to play high-level basketball for 48 minutes. That's tough. That's a really, really tough thing. AD was good in the first half, bad in the second half. Like put up some numbers, but he was a minus 20 in the second half while he was out there. Rui Hashimura went scoreless in the second half. That was a big deal. And Jokic and Murray did their thing. This was probably the game that Jokic was least bothered by the Rui adjustment for sure. Uh, His numbers were fantastic. Murray was also just very steady. Like it was like 30 points and five assists. And, And this was just another game where you could point to him being amazing against the Lakers. But the difference was Aaron Gordon, who finally had another good game, spaced the floor a little bit, hit the shots that he needed to hit with Anthony Davis giving him a bunch of space on the perimeter and hit the threes, just just made the plays that he was supposed to make. KCP had the and one uh, where the entire team flexed and screamed at the same time uh, and one on Anthony Davis to tie the game. If you remember, that came after a 15-point deficit that Denver had at the first half. They weren't playing great. LeBron showed up and he carried the day for the Lakers. Then he needed somebody else to step up for him. And it just didn't happen. KCP was great. Jokic played the entire second half of this game. Just an Iron Man. Nothing that you would ever see before. You would think that a team that had LeBron James and Anthony Davis would be able to wear him down. Not the case. Not the case. Jokic was the guy dictating terms for most of this time. And Murray kind of taking over at various points. That helped keep Jokic on the floor, in my opinion. So it's important that Murray broke out here because... If that doesn't happen and there's too much pressure on Joker, he might crack. Now, I don't think that he would have, but there's at least the possibility. So it's good that they were able to share the load a little bit, share the responsibility. And then right at the end, Lakers have an opportunity to tie even at the buzzer. LeBron drives to his left. Murray strips the ball. LeBron collects it again. AG blocks it at the buzzer. And you move on. You sweep the Lakers. And you... Do everything that you need to do to 
lift up an entire fan base that had been humiliated by the Lakers over and over and over again. It was cathartic. It was a great feeling. And if you're a Nuggets fan, you knew how much that meant at that point, because on top of it being the first finals in NBA history for the for the Nuggets, this was the first time they had ever swept a team. And that it came, that it came against the Lakers of all teams was tremendous. It was a storybook ending, for sure. And it was one of the reasons why this season felt like a storybook season for Denver. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to cover it like this, to be able to revisit this at various points and to be able to talk about this and to be able for everybody to be able to hear this and say, look, this is this doesn't come around that often. This is one of those that you have to hold on to. I think that's one of my my memories from this series in general. You gotta hold on to this one because you never know when it's gonna look like this ever again. This was a perfect storm. The Lakers were not at the peak of their powers. They did what they could to kind of battle back during the season traded away Russell Westbrook and whatnot, but LeBron's 38. Anthony Davis is semi-reliable, but not tremendously reliable. And as great as Austin Reeves was during this series and Rui Hachimura was during this series, you just need more. You just need more than that. And they didn't have the depth that they needed. They didn't have the contributions from other guys that they needed throughout this series. And Denver just was the better team from start to finish. Even if some of the wrinkles throughout the throughout the series kind of kept it a little closer than it should have been, uh, I think that this was a very very important moment in Nuggets history, and I think this was also Murray's official breakout. He had done some awesome things up until this point. I've talked about forty point performances from him, talked about the bubble, I've talked about how he's actually been better in the regular season than more people give him credit for. But in my mind, this was the series that really put him on the map as like that dude, where you come back and you put up 23 points in the fourth quarter of game two to save your team. And then you start the next game with 30 points in the first half. That's 53 points in three quarters. 53 and three quarters. Like that's insanity. And to be able to pace that well against a team that's doing everything that they can to shut you down. Like that was a next level moment for Jamal Murray. And he absolutely earned that credit. So great stuff from him. Great stuff from the entire Nuggets rotation. This was one where Christian Brown kind of uh, fled into the background a little bit. It's one where if you're looking at this upcoming season, Christian Brown's got to be better for a series like this one because there's no Bruce Brown. He's got to be Bruce Brown or, or something equivalent to it. So got to be able to shoot, got to be able to handle, got to be able to play in a series like this. There wasn't really a role for Christian Brown in this one. Going to be able to, like, going to have to find ways. Going to have to figure it out. So should be interesting, but I I love talking about this series. This is my favorite series that Denver has ever played in their entire franchise history because of what it means, because of the level of success that they had because of the performances and because it just felt like a moment that you had to be there for. Uh, because there was a point at the beginning of that series where people were wondering if the Lakers could upset the Nuggets and the Nuggets shut that down as soon as flipping possible. Really cool. 
All right. That's going to be it for this segment. Um, stay tuned. When we come back, I do want to mention some final things on Damian Lillard. I know everybody has Lillarded out, but I want to make sure to mention some things about what uh, is going on for small markets in general and why this uh, this has been a, a weird experience. Uh, but first, everybody, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by our friends at Superbook. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, why don't you try your local book, Superbook Sports, this fall? They are the book next door, just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLE. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Final segment, Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast. Thank you for 3,000 subscribers on YouTube. This is cool. <laughs> it's a cool thing to say. Thank you guys for uh, supporting us and supporting the work that we do, whether it's uh, my work here at Pickaxe and Roll or Cody with Good Morning Broncos. Drew Creaseman's been putting out great Rockies videos, especially the shorts. Uh, I know Arif Dean's on track to start some stuff for the for the avalanche on on the youtube side but got a lot going on here and 3k is just the start so thank you so much anilo piro also deserves a ton of credit for the way that he is contributing everything uh, as does danny bailey who does a lot of producing for us uh, we've got an interesting team at mile high sports a fun team at mile high sports and they do a bunch of great stuff so thank you so much for tuning in all right Final segment here. I wanted to wrap up with this. So, Damian Lillard to the Bucks was a good thing for the NBA, in my opinion. I talked about it yesterday. I talked about it when I just broke down the trade. This was a really, really good thing. But it did make a lot of people mad, or at least a very select few people mad. Including Damian Lillard and his camp, the way that things were being handled. There's, It's a clear indication whether it's his agency or his circle or his like closest fans and friends they're not happy with the way that portland and um cronin the uh it's not mick cronin he's a ucla coach tom cronin um the way that he as the portland general manager handled the conversations with miami uh, and the heat and the heat fans and heat reporters clearly are very mad at the way that this has gone too. They were told for weeks, for months, that Damian Lillard was going to be a member of the Miami Heat, and now he is not. And I think everybody is mad at the Blazers for that. I am not. I I think just from this perspective, like it is so hard to make a trade for a guy or to trade a player for a good deal when he says he's only going to play for one team. And that was pretty clear based off of the negotiating, based off of how long this thing took and based off of what reportedly Miami was offering, like not a great 
set of offers there. But Chris Haynes, who I'm, if you know of Chris Haynes, he is a reporter for Bleacher Reporters, bounced around a couple places, a couple national outlets, but he has always been tied extremely closely to Damian Lillard. He is a friend of Damian Lillard. And he reported in an article that came out earlier tonight, Dame was willing to return to Portland, but the Portland general manager said no, he did not want Dame back. And apparently that was offensive. Apparently that was an offensive take. That was something that Dame did not want to hear because clearly the trade to Miami wasn't going to happen. And Dame basically said, hey, if it's not going to happen, if it's not in the works, I'm willing to come back and play with Portland. And Cronin said no. And I don't blame him. I really don't. I think that the Blazers did the right thing. I think that the Blazers were clearly ready to move on. I don't think they're the bad guys. Although I think that everybody is the bad guy in this situation, as I've put out on this podcast, as I've put out online, and in conversations with other people, there are no good people in this in these negotiations. This was clearly a bad faith debate on both sides. Nobody is the good person here. They're all working for their own selfish reasons. They all want their own agenda, and they were unwilling to compromise. And so it got pretty contentious. And that is not a surprise. And nobody should be like, like this is fine. This is, this is how the NBA works. But if Miami is going to keep putting out these leaks, if Miami reporters are going to keep leaking these things about uh, Portland is doing things in bad faith, they're not even talking to Miami. Why wouldn't they talk to Miami right now? Well, maybe there was a reason for that. And I think the reason was that they got a better deal in the end. And I think that this is a better deal. I did the trade grades yesterday. I got a, I gave them a B plus because it can't be an A grade since they didn't get like a, a blue chip kind of prospect or anything like that. But they got two solid starters, including a borderline all-star player in Drew Holiday, who they're going to also flip. So like they're, they're ready. They want to move on. They're going to make the trades. And I think that this was just... It was a very frustrating article to see and very frustrating quotes to read and narratives to be put out there because it's clearly Dame slanted. It's trying to make him not the bad guy in all of this. And I understand that. Like, he's your guy if you're Chris Haynes. For sure. I, I get it. But come on, man. Like, we saw what happened. There is film of you. <laughs> there is, we've, seen, we've seen all the tweets. We've seen that Aaron Goodwin is doing everything that he could to do right by his client, which means driving away other people and making it as difficult as possible for Portland to get the right amount that they want to from Miami. And Miami's assets are not very good. They went another direction. I feel like they were perfectly justified to do that. And it's just tough because if you remember, this is 11 years of Damian Lillard in Portland. He was drafted in 2012. He won Rookie of the Year there. Actually, I guess it's, is it 10 years? No, it's it's 12, it's 11 years. He won Rookie of the Year over Anthony Davis. He had two Western Conference Finals appearances. He's been the starter there basically ever since he got there. Uh, has been an all-star, has brought like amazing moments, clutch shooting, and just fun moments to the Northwest, to the Pacific Northwest. And... Like it's a big deal. Like he was, he was one of the premier players of the of the division for a long, long time. Did that end in 
ultimate playoff success? No. No, it didn't. And it doesn't have to for it to be a successful run for Dame. Like, it was clearly very successful in Portland. Did he reach the ultimate success, though? No. And that's where kind of getting into a small market and teams making bad decisions or not surrounding a small a small market superstar with the right amount of talent, that's where it can really hurt. Um, there is a constant gravity, in my opinion, that pulls these small market superstars away from their teams. And it is the business side of things. It is the lifestyle side of things. It is just everything about the NBA and what it has stood for for a long time says that you should be trying to go to a team like the Lakers because the Lakers win, they earn more money, and they are happy. And for a lot of people, that's just not the case. And for a lot of people that miss out on that uh, throughout their career, like a lot of them want to wear the purple and gold. Like think about the size of each fan base. Like the Lakers probably make up 45 to 50% of all NBA fans. And so it's not a surprise that so many players and so many teams and like you, you're more likely to grow up a Lakers fan or grow up in California. Like you're being dragged back to places like these if you are a basketball player. And Dame resisted that for a long time. He resisted this gravity and tried his best and tried to make it work in Portland. He was clearly trying to recruit guys like Giannis to Portland and it didn't work. And that's okay. That's not the worst thing in the world. But the player movement side of things has always tried to drag Dame away from Portland, basically ever since about 2020, where he he goes to the Western Conference Finals in 2019 after defeating the Nuggets in the second round. And clearly an awesome time, earns another opportunity there. And then the Blazers, like they, they go back to being an eight seed. And they perform well in the bubble, but there's clearly no actual trajectory for them to get much better with C.J. McCollum there and Yusuf Nurkic. And at that point, gosh, I don't even remember who they had on the wing at that point, but it was very difficult for them to bounce back. And they, they made it as a six seed in the first round of the playoffs. But if you lose to Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers in the backcourt for Denver, that is a pretty negative mark on your ability as a team to like rise to the top level and they just never could i don't think it was dame's fault i don't think that he was the reason for that i think that uh neil olshay was a horrible general manager and made horrible decisions for them for a long long time and that's really tough but dame stuck it out stuck it out there anyway for 11 years which is way longer than most guys do so he does deserve credit for that i think that he set a great standard as a small market superstar. And you deserve some credit for bringing some notoriety and some credit to the city of Portland. It's too bad. I I like Dame's game. I think that he whines too much. I think that he's whined more and more as his stardom has gone up and as he's gotten more frustrated in Portland, though. He didn't always used to be like that. But I do think in general that he grew tired of being looked down upon in Portland. He looked tired of, or he got tired of not winning, clearly. And as much as he may love the city and the fans and connecting to the community there, there's only so much that that can do. He wants to win a championship because 
if he did win a championship, even if it was as the second option of, of a team, like his legacy is stamped. Like the dude has is already in the top seventy five all time, like on the anniversary list. And if he wins a title, you may start seeing lists that have Damian Lillard as a top fifty player of all time. I don't know if he actually is. I'd have to go back and do it. Uh, he's not going to break into like the top 20 or anything like that, but who knows? Like maybe if he won multiple championships with Giannis and he was averaging 30 points a night, might feel a little bit different when he's being surrounded by talent that can help him achieve what he's hoping to achieve as a winner. So it's interesting, but I do think he deserves some credit for sticking it out there. And I do think that he deserves some credit for trying to make it work in Portland for as long as he did. He also deserves blame for the way that this thing spiraled. And it's too bad because even somebody as low drama as he is finally found some drama, finally found a reason to kind of stand up and be like, no, I, I am not dealing with it here anymore. And whatever Chris Haynes decides to write about him being willing to go back to Portland, that was not true. Like, there's no, there's no way, no freaking way that that is actually true. Um, but I digress. Denver's lucky to have Jokic. They're lucky to have Murray, for what it's worth. Murray is probably closer to a Dame than, like, from a personality standpoint and, like, a, a an actual, like, I don't know, mentality standpoint than he is to Jokic, for sure. But Jokic being able to kind of set the tone for this Nuggets team and for this Nuggets franchise, everybody gets in line as a result because like, there's no reason not to if a guy like that is kind of setting the table and making sure that everybody understands this is all about winning, this is all about sharing the basketball, it's all about sharing the credit, even if Jokic is one of the most talented players we've ever seen. So they are lucky to have somebody low maintenance who is never going to do anything like this, even anything like what Giannis just did. Like, I don't, I don't see that as a thing that Jokic will ever do. Now, he might just retire, but, like, he's not going to go anywhere else. I think he wants to stay. And even if he doesn't win all the time, I think he's going to want to continue to stay. So it's really cool. It's good to see. I hope Denver never gets complacent, though, and they continue to take advantage of this moment because there's no reason why they can't win multiple championships even after the one that they've just won. And... That would be doing right by a superstar. I do think that Portland messed up, but I do think they also did right by him for the most part until the very end where you're like, we have to move on. And it's fair. It's just fair on both sides. Nobody's the good guy in these situations, but it just doesn't feel good. So look, it is what it is. Tomorrow, we are going to chat about the Miami Heat. Tomorrow, we're going to chat about... Um, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray going 30-point triple-doubles at the same time. We're going to chat about the Nuggets winning their first title in NBA history. And I am extremely excited to be able to relive that with everybody here. So, folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Pick X and Roll, brought to you by our good friends over at Superbook Sports. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always. Continue bumping those subscriber numbers. That would be super helpful. If you're on the audio side, rate, review, and subscribe to those platforms as well. Uh, Again, comment down below. What was your favorite game? 
What's your favorite game of the Nuggets versus Lakers series? I think mine is game one. Thank you so much, everybody. Talk to you guys very soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.